What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everyone, and here's what's ahead this hour. Will they or won't they? The Dow briefly went negative after Speaker Pelosi said no skinny deal for the airlines. This after the president called talks productive. We will have the latest on these market moves. Plus banking bonanza, Morgan Stanley's big splash, the bank stocks rallying and earnings coming next week. We're going to look at how best to play the financials. And the Travis Scott bump, McDonald's blowing past sales expectations, hiking its dividend, too. We're going to speak with the U.S. president ahead here. But let's start with the markets. Dom Chu has the very latest for us. Dom? How about markets right now, Kelly, at the highs of the session? The S&P 500, 34.42, the last level, up 23 points. At the highs of the day, we were up 25. So, yes, hovering right around there. 33.75 is a level you're going to want to watch. That could be some support. That's the average price of the stock market in the S&P over the last 50 days. The Nasdaq up one half of 1%. The Dow Industrial is up about 94 points right now. One of the big trades that we've been watching, energy, the bounce back there. Energy stocks, the bounce back there. Yes, they've been beaten up all kinds of ways so far in 2020. However, WTI crude at these levels here is running into a little area of resistance at $41.22. This could be a price that stalls out a little bit. We'll see if it can push through. But remember, we've got that big storm brewing in the Gulf of Mexico, Hurricane Delta. So crude prices still in focus there. And you mentioned that big bonanza of a deal in financial services. One of the biggest deals this year. Eaton Vance up 48% right now, $60.68. Morgan Stanley, the behemoth in financial services, will buy them for $7 billion in cash and stock. And get this, Kelly, Morgan Stanley, already a huge, a massive wealth management player, will now have in a combined company in its investment management division, $1.2 $1.2 trillion with a T in assets under management and revenues per year of around $5 billion. It's going to create a big, big player. I know, Kelly, you'll be talking about that much more later on in the show. Back over to you. Yep, really looking forward to digging um, into that more. But uh, again, if you're eating Vance shareholders, you woke up this morning, probably your head exploding. <laughs> Dom, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Dom Chu, let's get to the latest developments on COVID relief. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi saying just a short while ago that there will not be a standalone airline bill without a, without a broader COVID relief bill. Elon Moy is standing by with the very latest for us. Elon. Well, Kelly, as they say in Washington, nothing is agreed to until everything is agreed to. And today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said there will be no aid for the airlines unless there is a broader deal in place that guarantees help for state and local governments and includes a commitment to crushing the virus. As for the other things that President Trump said he wanted, including extending PPP and direct checks, not going to happen, she said. This is deadly serious. So let's take a serious, not a skinny, not an emaciated, but a serious, appropriate approach to crushing the virus and then talk about some of the other good things that would flow from that. 
Now, beyond the House, the idea of a standalone bill for the airlines was also facing some turbulence in the Senate. This morning, two key Republicans, Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania and Senator Mike Lee of Utah, they raised concerns about helping the airlines, but not restaurants, hotels, or the entertainment sector. Sector, And they also argued that any aid to the airline should be structured as long-term, low-interest loans rather than as grants. So, Kelly, all of these developments are seeming to quash any lingering hopes for relief from Washington before the election. Back over to you. Yeah, it was already looking pretty unlikely after all that's happened this week. Elon, we appreciate it. As always, Elon Moy, this back and forth is emphasizing just how crucial a role Washington will play into next year for the markets. Goldman out with a note today looking at the impact of different election scenarios on the S&P 500. They're suggesting a split Congress could lead to a 10 percent move to the upside by year end and a 19 percent jump by the middle of 2021. Now, a Democratic sweep, they say, would blunt this year's rally, but it would provide a 12 percent increase next year. And what about a contested election? If we don't know what happens come November 3rd, well, Goldman says that's the worst outcome for the S&P, dropping to 3,100. Here to talk markets today, Neil Hennessy is the chief investment officer at Hennessy Funds, and Terry Spath is chief investment officer at Sierra Mutual Funds. Good to have you both here. And Neil, I'll begin with you because you're often so good at kind of distilling the, the signal from the noise. And what's the message you're coming away with here? Well, Kelly, I think it's still you have to be thematic. In other words, look at the overall market. There's a lot of potential, a lot of value in the market. You can look at the NASDAQ that's up 25, 28%, but, but in reality, it's only up 11% if you take out Apple and Google and Amazon and Microsoft. And even worse than that, only up 8% if you put in Facebook and Tesla. So when I talk about themes, I'm looking at, forget the noise, forget about the stimulus bill, forget about the election. There are still things happening out there. And the biggest thing that's happening out there, Kelly, is set, cities are getting crushed. Nobody wants to be in New York or San Francisco or Chicago or whatever. It's too expensive. If I'm going to work from home, why do I want to be in an expensive area? I can move out of town. So when you think about thematics, you start to think about housing, appliances, in beer, because those three things are going <laughs> to do well in this environment. And that's been a thesis of yours for a while. I know we've, we've talked about the beer play before. Crown Holdings, uh, that's the, the metal beverage and food can maker. KB Homes, Whirlpool, I mean, these all speak to what you see as the bigger trend here, despite the near-term political noise. Terry, let me turn to you with the same question. So what would your advice be for investors here, given all these different outcomes that Goldman's laying out for the results of the election, uh, how, how would you have people focus? Right. So I, I totally agree that there's a lot of noise out there in the markets right now. I mean, it's hard to avoid that. And, and as a result, because there's, there's some bifurcated outcomes that specifically will come with the election, stocks and other risk on assets are in this purgatory place between now and then. Not heaven, not hell. Um, just sort of bouncing around based on the latest headline and the latest, you know, nonsense that's coming out of Washington, D.C. So I think that investors, you know, need to be really careful about the risk, but also recognize that the tails have gotten a lot fatter. The things that are going to work are going to work really well. The things that are not are not going to work really well. And so we're looking for a barbell approach in terms of how to play this market um, between now and the end of the year. 
Yep. And I know that even includes looking at emerging markets for you, like uh, Korea, for instance. Neil, we have some, there's a lot of Fed speak this week. We just heard from Eric Rosengren uh, in the past few minutes or so. He said it's tragic that more fiscal stimulus has not been provided so far. Um, and he talks about, you know, how the Fed has to basically assume it won't be coming, but that there is a great need in particular, he says, to extend the payroll protection program. For you as an investor, how important is another round of COVID relief from Washington? I'm not sure it's really all that important from the standpoint that businesses are are getting their legs underneath themselves as the economy opens up a little bit. Yes, there's sectors that are hurting like real estate, hotel, travel, airline. But in in the big picture, you know, when you look at companies, they're focused on making money long term. So they'll restructure, they'll figure something out even if the stimulus bill doesn't come through. Probably one of the worst things was, it doesn't really matter what you think, good or bad, but there was a lot of regulations and rules that were put in when under President Obama's administration that should have curbed business, but did not. They figured out a way to do it. So I think the same thing's going to happen here, Kelly, be it a stimulus bill that's free money or not. All right, Terry, quick final word. I mentioned Korea is one area you like. Anything else under the radar? Uh, yeah, there is. But I have to say, I disagree that we don't need fiscal stimulus. I think that, you know, the, the Fed has been extremely accommodative. But in the recession, interest rate sensitive things like housing, like real estate, um, those were the areas that were the big problems that low interest rates could help. That's not the case right now. Low interest rates don't create jobs in the travel sector, for example. So I think a fiscal stimulus is very important. So the way, again, that um, to, just to close it up in terms of how to play right now, emerging market equities, particularly South Korea, gold standard in terms of how they've been managing the global economic crisis. And also we think treasury bonds make a lot of sense in here. Rates are going to not just be lower for longer, they'll be lower forever at this point. And so we think that barbell strategy allows you to participate in some upside, but also cushion your downside. All right. Terry Spath, Neil Hennessy, appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much today talking us through these markets. Dow hanging on to about a 79-point gain after fluctuating all morning. Meanwhile, Regeneron today requesting emergency use approval for its antibody treatment, which was taken by the president. Uh, shares of the company are higher on this news by 1.5% or so. It does follow Eli Lilly's similar move a day ago. Meg Terrell is here with the latest on these COVID treatments. Meg? Hi, Kelly. Well, this is an incredibly fast move for applying for emergency use authorization. We'd only just seen the first data from Lilly a few weeks ago and from Regeneron just last Tuesday. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci was just on with Andrea Mitchell, and she asked him about how well these drugs look to work. Here's what he said. Monoclonal antibodies, one of which the president did receive, are now in clinical trials and the data are being accumulated, and they look quite favorable, whether or not they're going to get an emergency use Authorization will depend upon an analysis of the data by the CD, by the FDA scientists. Now, Kelly, if the FDA does give that authorization, there are a few issues uh, with these drugs we should tell folks about. One is that they're not going to be super easy to take. They're given by IV administration, so that's one challenge. Another challenge is the supply of them is going to be pretty limited at the beginning. The companies have told us from Regeneron they'll have 50,000 doses. That's enough to treat 50,000 people available initially, uh, hoping to get that up to 300,000 over a few months. Uh, Lilly says 100,000 doses will be available in October. So the, you know, 
doctors are going to have to make decisions, the FDA and the companies are going to have to make decisions about who uh, should get these drugs. The trials were run in recently diagnosed patients, uh, and you know they could be prioritized by age, underlying conditions, basically their risk of uh, severe disease. Uh, and in trials, they're still being tested for hospitalized patients as well as uh, preventive therapy uh, for people who are at high risk from exposure. Kelly? Meg, what would you say is the main difference between the Lilly treatment yesterday and the Regeneron one today? Well, the big difference is that Regeneron's is a cocktail of two antibodies, and the initial treatment from Lilly is just a single antibody. Now, they do have a combo that they also presented data on yesterday that looked very strong, uh, but that's the main difference as of right now, single antibody versus double. Uh, and with the two antibodies, you do have a bit stronger data. Oh, interesting. Meg, as always, thank you very much. Meg Terrell, the latest on these COVID treatments, Regeneron's in particular today. Coming up, it's Big Macs and Big Celebs. McDonald's is seeing strong sales as its Travis Scott promotion drew in fans. And we're going to speak with the company's U.S. president about that, about their dividend hike and the general state of the consumer right now. And home builder stocks have surged as builders just can't keep up with demand. We were just talking about it. But J.P. Morgan says the rally is far from over. The analyst behind that call joins us. We're back in a couple. The market doesn't joke around. So why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. McDonald's out with much better than expected sales for the third quarter. Its global comps were down 2% versus a drop of 26% on the quarter prior. The shares are fractionally lower today. Kate Rogers has the full story for us. Kate? Hey, Kelly, the fast food giant out with, as you mentioned, much better than expected comps. U.S. same-store sales increasing 4.6% in Q3. Analysts had projected an increase of 1.9%. The bump came from an average check growth from larger group orders and also strength at dinner as consumers flocked to delivery and drive through during the pandemic. September sales were also strong with low double-digit comps, the best in a decade, the company says, and positive comps across day parts, although traffic was still negative for the quarter. Let's bring in Joe Erlinger, the president of McDonald's U.S. Joe, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thanks so much. It's a pleasure being on. Well, congrats on the sales numbers for the quarter. Very strong, as we mentioned. We know promotions like the Travis Scott meal and also spicy nuggets help to bring in new consumers. How sticky are those new customers? And do you think they'll stick with the company once these promotions run out? Yeah, thanks for the question. And I know everyone wants to focus on the Travis Scott meal and spicy uh, chicken McNuggets. Uh, which definitely contributed to the fantastic uh, September that we had. But the setup for this uh, great quarter actually uh, started much earlier in the year. I think, as you know, um, you know our drive throughs have been getting faster at McDonald's. Uh, we've made a lot of investments uh, in digital and drive through uh, and delivery uh, as well. Uh, and then really, we made a, a lot of changes to our business model uh, as the, the pandemic uh, set upon us. Uh, over 50 changes in operations. Uh, we limited our menu. Uh, and we've made our restaurants um, easier to run. Uh, and I think all of that um, also, uh, at the same time, we, we conserved some of our marketing funds. Uh, and when we began to unleash those marketing funds in the third quarter, uh, and that's what set up uh, this, uh, this, great, uh, this great result, 4.6% double-digit comps uh, in September. 
Also, breakfast, as we all know, has kind of been a challenge, not just for McDonald's, but the industry at large, because everyone's routines are kind of disrupted uh, because of the pandemic. You had positive comps throughout all day parts. You also introduced some new breakfast items uh, very recently. Would you say breakfast is back at McDonald's? You know, also when we entered the pandemic, uh, we had reversed uh, what was a long-term trend of negative guest counts. So uh, I know it's been lost in the results and the, what happened in the pandemic, but in January and February, we actually had positive comps at breakfast and positive guest counts. And I think it goes without saying, you know, we don't sell uh, the spicy McNuggets or the Travis Scott orders at breakfast. Uh, and we've obviously seen, like I said, positive comps across all day parts. Uh, so we are actually very optimistic uh, about uh, the day part. Uh, we're excited about uh, the bakery launch uh, that will take place uh, later this month. Um, and we've got a real built-in advantage on this uh, because of our drive-throughs and just because of our overall convenience factor. Uh, and so, yeah, I like the characterization. Yes, breakfast is back at McDonald's. Also, franchisees were in a really strong cast cash position rather heading into the pandemic what would you say is their biggest headwind moving forward obviously despite these results it's just a challenging time in the industry so what's their biggest challenge looking out ahead joe yeah they uh, they did come into this in a position of absolute strength uh, 2019 was the highest cash flow year ever uh, for our franchisees um, and, and i think some of the steps that we took through the pandemic uh, both to support them uh, in terms of their liquidity uh, but also again to make the operations of the restaurant easier uh, we actually improved margins at the restaurant level as well. Uh, and so they're actually coming out of the worst of the pandemic at a very good position, very strong financial position. Uh, the, the mood amongst our franchisees is strong. I, I was in restaurants uh, in Washington State a few weeks ago. Last week, I was actually in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of optimism and confidence as we uh, as we enter the fourth quarter. Great. Joe Erlinger, we're going to leave it there. We really appreciate your time today. Thanks for being here. No, thank you, Kate. Kelly, back over to you. And Kate, thank you for bringing that to us. Again, pretty remarkable comeback by McDonald's, both in the U.S. and globally, uh, given what's going on with this pandemic. Coming up, the big bank deal of the day. Morgan Stanley is acquiring Eaton Vance less than a year after buying E-Trade. What is this telling us about the future of the banking sector? We've got some answers and how to play it ahead. Plus, the stimulus stalemate continues with Nancy Pelosi saying there will be no standalone airline bill without a comprehensive one. We're going to ask the co-chairs of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus, who remain optimistic about a deal. And American Airlines CEO Doug Parker joined CNBC just as Pelosi was speaking earlier. Here's what he told our Phil LeBeau. We support a larger bill. We think that makes sense uh, for the economy, of course, and that's where we were headed. Uh, but what we know is if that can't happen uh, before the election, that's going to have a, a seriously detrimental impact on our ability to continue to provide essential service to the country to help it come out of this uh, coronavirus pandemic. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable Internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. 
Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome back to The Exchange. Let's get a check on markets right now. The Dow briefly gave up all of its gains. It was up 155 points at the session high, went down to just a gain of about 15 after Secretary uh, Pelosi said we weren't going to move forward. She wasn't going to move forward on a skinny uh, bill for airlines. Speaker Pelosi, I should say. And now we're kind of treading water. The Dow's up 67 points, a quarter percent. It's the laggard, though. The Nasdaq, uh, second worst, it's up four-tenths of a percent. The S&P is actually leading the way today, which you rarely see. It's up about 19 points right now, six-tenths of a percent. Let's check on the sectors, just kind of get a feel for where we are seeing more strength in this market. And it's energy up two and a quarter percent. You heard Dom talking about the price of oil earlier on. Utilities, real estate up there, even financials up one percent. Eaton Vance, obviously, up about 50 percent after its acquisition by Morgan Stanley. And here are some of the other movers this hour. IBM is higher by, look at about 7%. Last check on news that the company will spin off its IT infrastructure unit uh, into a separate public company. The separation enabling IBM to focus on its cloud business and the shares still hanging on to a better than 5% gain today. And shares of Domino's Pizza are lower despite quarterly sales that surged more than 17% during the pandemic. But they also face higher costs, which hit earnings. It has been one of the best performers this year. It's giving up 6.5%. And shares of cosmetics company Cody sharply higher on expansion news of its Kylie Skin Beauty line in the UK, France, Germany, and Australia. Uh, the shares up 11%. Still, they're under $4. Now, the battle over COVID relief continues with both sides digging in. President Trump pushing for a standalone airline rescue bill. But House Speaker Pelosi saying there's no standalone aid without a comprehensive package. Now, despite this apparent stalemate, the Problem Solvers Caucus, which helped jumpstart stimulus talks a few weeks ago, remains optimistic on a deal. Joining me now are the co-chairs of the caucus, Democratic Representative Josh Gottheimer of New Jersey and Republican Representative Tom Reed of New York. Really appreciate you guys uh, coming together to be here today. I think it's emblematic of your efforts on COVID as well. Uh, Congressman Gottheimer, let me start with you. Um, why no skinny bill on airlines? I think you really need to take, and I agree with the speaker here, a more comprehensive approach. Who are you going to decide to leave out? Are you going to leave out restaurant workers? Are you going to leave out airline workers? What about all the other small businesses? You know, the only way to really get this done, and, and I, again, I think we were really close, so we just got to get everyone back to the table, is to look at this of the same way we've been looking at this. You got to help small businesses. You got to help families get through a tough time. You got to help our small towns and our local governments who are really struggling. So I, the deal is there's a deal, but as you know, it's very hard when you start breaking it up into little pieces because then you're you're going to leave certain people out and and uh, and leave others behind. Congressman Reed, is there a dollar figure for you for a combined bill that would be too high? As I understand it, there's some pushback amongst Republicans who face maybe not election this year in the Senate, but in a couple of years who think, you know, this the size of spending, uh, the amount of it could come back to haunt them. Uh, what is there kind of a range that you're comfortable with here? Well, you know, as we put in the Problem Solvers Caucus, a bill that was built from the bottom up, what is needed to get us through the foreseeable future into March? And if you do that, the number takes care of itself. And I think you know, I've heard a number that's potentially being discussed of 1.7 trillion. I think that's right in the zone. Our Problem Solvers Caucus bill is at 1.5 trillion dollars. That was based on evidence and data. So I'm I'm letting the evidence and data drive the bill. And I know they're very close. They are so close. Uh, and if they would just listen to each other, I think we could get a deal done here for the American people and take care of not just one industry, 
but millions of Americans as well as hundreds of thousands of employees that are threatened with layoffs if we do nothing. Congressman Gottheimer, I'm going to ask you a question that sets you up for, for kind of an easy one here. So, so, but I, I really want to know the answer. How close was a deal before the president's tweet the other day? Um, and how close are we now? Because the analysts that we've been speaking to this week say there's no chance anything gets done now before the election. What would you say? I mean, it's certainly a lot harder than it was a couple of days ago, you know, before uh, the president's tweet. And I think, you know, we're, Tom and I aren't in the room, of course, but we're talking a lot to our leadership on both sides and, and to the White House and to all the parties. And I, I know they were really, really close. And, and I really want to thank them for staying in the room and not walking away on the American people, because I, I think you just got to, as you know, any deal to get done, it's, you've got some ups and downs, but you got to stay in the room. Right now, I believe the the deal is still there to be had. I don't think there's, you know, if you ask my opinion, um, we just have to get back to the table. We're trying to help and do anything we can because the idea that you'd walk away till February, really, till after the next inauguration and leave all these families and small businesses and communities, uh, you know, out like and just leave them out is is frankly unconscionable. And the economy can't handle it, and our families can't handle it. Not to mention all the testing that's probably going to need to be done as we head into flu season and and as we face some potential spikes of the virus. So, you know, from our perspective, we're not giving up. You stay at the table. We're calling on everyone to get back, and we're going to keep pushing. And I don't look hey, at the president. Congressman Gottheimer, what about? Sure, go ahead. Go I, ahead, Congressman Reid. I don't look at the uh, the president's tweet as devastating as uh, many other people do. I think what it's doing is it's drawing out the last and best offers uh, from both sides in black and white to be put on the table. And maybe that's what needed to be done, because we can't drag this out in perpetuity. It's time to put the best offers forward. And I will tell you, if you do that, it is very close in regards to a deal uh, that can be getting, that can be uh, hatched here. And that means the American people win. So let's just do that. Stay in the room exchange that final paper, work out the legislative text. And I'll tell you, if you do that, I think the, the daylight will see this deal through to the finish line. But Congressman Reid, what about the and fact that the Senate isn't going to be back in person for a couple of weeks? Go ahead. Well, because it's going to take some time to do the legislative process. So, I mean, obviously, the Senate's going to be in session taking care of the Supreme Court nomination. And what you could envision is that the uh, Senate takes it up, gets it through, and then the House uh, can either do it by unanimous consent or like we've done in the previous bills. Or, you know, as uh, Steny Hoyer said, 24 hour notice is all it takes to get us back there to pass this bill and get it signed into law. So we can get this done. The, the, the mechanics of the legislative process, if we have the will and we have the agreement, I believe we I know we can get this done for the American people. All right. Well, you guys got those talks restarted uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so maybe giving a little of a glimmer of hope now. Again, appreciate you both joining me today. Thank you so much. Congressman Josh Gottheimer so and Congressman Tom Reed of the Problem Solvers Caucus. Still ahead here, financials finding some footing as we head into a big week of earnings for the sector. We're going to debate which names should be in your portfolio ahead of those results. And the analyst that says the recent home builder rally is just getting started. How can that be? How much are we up from the lows? We're back at a couple. 
Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Let's get to the deal of the day, shall we? Morgan Stanley will buy asset management firm Eaton Vance for $7 billion in cash and stock. Eaton shares are up 48%. The deal is part of Morgan's push into the more insulated business of investment management. Now, this comes as investors are starting to see signs of life in the financials, which have gained about 7% over the past two weeks. The year has still been a slog for the sector, but we're about 43% above the 52-week lows. Here to break down the banks, Anton Schutz, the senior portfolio manager at Menden Capital, and Steve Bigger is Director of Financial Institutions Research at Argus. Good to have you both here. You know, Steve, I'm going to start with you on Morgan in particular. You like this deal, and what does it do for Morgan Stanley? Oh, yeah. Hi, Kelly. I do like this deal. I, I think uh, Morgan Stanley has, you know, transformed its its business to be much more uh, balance sheet light and and uh, really more towards the fee-based, the wealth management and and uh, uh, it's, it's, so it's just been a, it's a much more stable mix of business, and uh, all else equal, it should result in a uh, higher multiple uh, for the company to get uh, get have that uh, more volatile trading and and underwriting segment become less and less. So so this does that. It pushes the uh, wealth management and uh, those businesses towards uh, close to 60% of revenues on a pro forma basis, and uh, so I, I, I like that as a business mix much better. Wow. Anton, where would you position Morgan Stanley among some of the other banks? As I understand it, Wells Fargo would be one of your picks, but Morgan's been a pretty good performer, relatively speaking. So is this them going from strength to strength and, you know, they have a less compelling valuation to you or kind of how would you rank the big banks at this point? Sure. Um, We do own both Wells Fargo and Morgan Stanley, and we think it's a great use of Morgan Stanley's excess capital and increases their return on equity. Again, um, you know, diversifies the revenue stream, makes it much more predictable. So I do think it deserves a higher multiple. And Wells Fargo is a self-help story. We just believe that, you know, two things will happen over time. I mean, one, they will get out from underneath the Fed. They've been working for years to to get under, underneath that asset cap, and earnings will go up substantially when they can grow their balance sheet. And two, um, you know, they publicly talked about a very large amount of cost cuts. I mean, as much as $10 billion that that's not in anybody's earnings estimates. So I think uh, that kind of a self-help story is always appealing. And Anton, I read uh, one analyst take this morning that said Morgan Stanley basically can buy them for free because they have excess capital. I don't know if you want to dig into that, but we do have earnings season coming next week. What are your expectations and why do you think the financials have been up lately? Is it just rates? Well, you know, rates is certainly, you know, a knee jerk uh, by the financials and rates go up. But I think that a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of reserve building is behind the banks. They did a lot of reserve building in the first and second quarter. They've got a, a new accounting standard that, that's you know very conservative in terms of life of loan loss. And, and those estimates in terms of economic uh, inputs are going to be very, very different looking, uh, certainly much more positive. You know, record GDP for this last quarter versus coming out of the second quarter where you just didn't know what was going on. So I do expect much better numbers than people expect. Uh, mortgage has obviously been an amazing uh, tailwind for the financial institutions as well. Steve, your picks as well. And if Morgan Stanley continues to go in the wealth management direction, do you expect rivals like Goldman to follow suit, or are they carving out a niche of their own here? Well, they've been absent from the uh, large acquisition front for for quite a while. Goldman has, and uh, you know, moving more into the. Uh, areas of, of consumer finance and buying portfolios and, and partnering with uh, uh, some in, in the credit card space. So, 
uh, it's a bit of a different strategy. Uh, you know, historically the banks had had been more kind of tied at the hip with respect to the uh, prospects and um, largely that, that that would ebb and flow with with capital markets. But but each is sort of carving out their own niche. Uh, it would it would seem to me with with the type of acquisitions that they're doing. Yep. And Steve, you think the election is a risk for the banks or a catalyst, or does it depend on the outcome in a, just a couple of words, if you could? Well, I, I think it is a risk in, in some aspect. You know, over the last six months, the banks have really had a, a perfect storm of, of uh, rock bottom interest rates, which is, has really killed uh, lending margins. You've got uh, a lot of concern about uh, credit quality, given the high unemployment rates and business and foreclosures and the like. And of course, the Fed has has put a hold on on dividend increases and share buybacks, so uh, it's removed a you know a big catalyst uh, for for bank stocks. So um, it, the election is, and, and of course, the the pendulum has swung uh, very much in favor of banks over the last uh, three years, really, under the Trump administration, with respect to the Volcker Rule and uh, freeing up capital to do various things, uh, moving down the asset level that uh, for uh, for doing stress tests and the like. And uh, I think the the pendulum under a Biden administration could uh, tip back the other way and and be, uh, become more yeah. of, a, of a headwind. Uh, so that so I do I do think that is a is a risk here. All right. Well, we'll dig more into it as we start to get those results next week and see what the election brings. For now, Steve Bigger and Anton Schutz, thank you both. Appreciate it today. And by the way, Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman will appear in a first on CNBC interview today on Closing Bell at 3 p.m. We're very much looking forward to that. Meantime, let's get to Sue Herrera for our CNBC News update this hour. Sue? Kelly, thanks very much. A very busy news day, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Michigan's attorney general has charged seven men associated with a militia group for allegedly plotting to target law enforcement and attack the state capitol building. Six other men are already facing federal conspiracy charges for a plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer from her vacation home. And basically, they are facing a number of key charges. They could face life in prison at this point. The Biden campaign is rejecting the Trump campaign's proposal to hold a third debate on October 29th, one week later than originally scheduled. It says it is ready to debate on October 22nd, a date apparently also agreed to by the president's campaign. No word yet from the debate commission on what it wants to do. In New Jersey, new daily COVID cases have more than doubled in 24 hours to more than 1,300. That is the most since May. The governor says many of the positive tests are being traced back to reopen schools. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he has not been to the White House since early August because its approach to preventing COVID is, quote, different from mine, end quote. But he says he talks to the president a lot on the phone. You are up to date, Cal. I'll see you in an hour. Back to you. All right, Sue, thank you very much. Still ahead here, shares of Pulte Homes are up more than 144% since the March lows. And J.P. Morgan says the stock has more room to run. We're going to talk to the analyst behind that bullish call. But first, why the work-from-home trend could add stress to some muni bonds, but also be a benefit to others. The exchange is back in two. Welcome back. The pandemic is taking its toll on muni finances across the country. And the work from home trend could impact the beleaguered muni bond market even more. Joining me to discuss is Tom Koslick. He's head of municipal strategy and credit at Hilltop Securities. Tom, it's good to have you back. And I really want to dig into this concept of how work from home might hurt certain parts of the muni bond market. Which ones in particular? 
Yeah, so let me be clear on the on the work from home concept. The first thing is, frankly, I mean, I'm seeing all the polling and data and and results that are saying that there are all kinds of people who like to they like working from home. I think that in the near term, that there are going to be companies who are going to uh, allow folks to work from home. Uh, I, I think that it's going to be more of a, a temporary situation, temporary meaning something that's, that could very well last for one, the next one to five years. And as you alluded to, I think that in the near term, there could be some situations where uh, state governments, local governments, other entities that are relying on things like wage taxes or commuter taxes, uh, there could be some uh, budget gaps that are going to be need, need to build, be filled as a result. Yeah, I know you're going to get to who you think are beneficiaries, but I just want to stay on this for a moment because mm -hmm. the next one to five years could be a very difficult period depending on what relief does or doesn't come from Congress and so forth. I mean, which parts of the muni market are most vulnerable? Would you tell investors you really want to stay away from? So I wouldn't necessarily say that I would I'm, I'm telling folks to necessarily stay away from certain situations or certain entities, but I think that uh, some of the larger entities uh, on the coasts and a combination of California and New York, uh, some of the larger cities and in, in, uh, on the coasts are going to be impacted negatively. I think that uh, some of the beneficiaries could be some of the mid-sized cities where a combination of uh, corporate headquarters and other folks might move there as a result. I mean, it's so difficult to know where we're going to be in five years. You know, if you're right and we're all going back to work, that's one thing, although there clearly has been a change in where people are, you know, the, the distribution of the population has clearly changed. On the other hand, if even a fraction of people, a significant fraction, continue to work from home or, or work elsewhere, that would seem to have a big impact. So how do you think that's going to affect things down the road? Yeah, I think that there are one of the things that's happening is that a lot of the trends that we saw occurring already uh, are just being accelerated. I think that one of the big changes that we've seen uh, in this time period versus 20 years ago after 9-11, when folks started to uh, move out of, you know, say, the New York City area, uh, technology is a lot better now. And that's one of the reasons why I think that people believe that in the, you know, not only in the next couple of years, but even in the medium and long term, they believe that they're going to be able to do their jobs, you know, for the next five or 10 or 20 years remotely. Well, I think that what's going to end up happening is after companies uh, allow workers to feel, you know, feel safe when things get, you know, when, when we finally get on the other side of this, I think that, you know, individual workers and companies are going to, re you know, remember and or realize that one of the big reasons that we jam ourselves into cities is because of the concept of human capital and he, the, the concept of human yeah. capital creating relationships. I think that that's those are some of the things that are going to be very important going forward. It's going to be a tug of war. You know, don't tell my friends who just bought houses kind of far out who are counting on work from home uh, for a little while. They're young kids. Yeah. Tom, we'll leave right. it there. Thank you, sir. Tom Koslick from Thank Hilltop you. on the future of the muni market. Coming up with housing in tight supply, would-be buyers are turning to builders, and they're having a hard time keeping up with the demand. We're going to hear from one such builder next. Don't go anywhere. We're back in a couple. Welcome back. With housing in tight supply, home builders can't build new homes fast enough. Diana Olick has the details for us. Diana. Yeah, Kelly, even as we move toward winter, demand for housing is still hot and supply just continues to plummet, even for new construction like this. And that has home builders in a sweat. All of a sudden, people just said, I've got to upgrade my home. 
and they came, you know, the floodgates kind of opened. When the pandemic struck the U.S. last March, builders like Mike Rubenfeld of Mid-Atlantic told us they either slowed production or just shut down. Mid-Atlantic develops communities like this one about 20 miles outside D.C. Construction was deemed essential, but they didn't want to put up a bunch of houses that no one wanted. Well, that was a mistake. It's really been hard to keep up. Every time we release a new section of lots for people to come look at, they're just immediately snapped up. Because a house is no longer just a house. It's a gym, an office, a school, a movie theater. And for a lot of people, that means either an upgrade or a move to another area. This community has already surpassed its full year sales projections. And as much as any builder would love that, Rubenfeld said there are plenty of headaches. We are definitely having some issues, and I think that's probably true of a lot of builders all over the country. The entitlement process is slower than it has been. Attaining permits is slower than it has been because folks are working from home. We've been raising prices roughly every two weeks, and this is in line to attempt to keep up with things like lumber increases. Lumber prices are up over 100% due to both the pandemic and to Western wildfires. That's adding about $16,000 to the cost of the average home. Buildable land is up about 10%, and the labor shortage is only getting worse. This demand, we don't really see a finish line on it anytime soon. Now, some builders say they're actually slowing production again now so they don't get caught building so much when production costs are this high. Kelly? That's amazing. Raising prices every two weeks. I'm tweeting that out, Diana. Thank you very much, and Diana Olick. Let's talk a little bit more. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about this now as we look at the ETF that tracks the home builders, the XHB, hitting a new all-time high today with Pulte Group and NVR also hitting uh, all-time highs as well. So, uh, check out some of the moves off of the lows as well. Pulte Group, DR Horton, Lennar, and Toll are up 220% on average from their 52-week low back in the spring. Uh, but joining me now with more on the sector and some of his top picks, Michael Rehart is the home building analyst at J.P. Morgan. And Michael, you think these stocks, let's start with Pulte, still have room to run how much right so uh, good morning good afternoon everyone thanks for having me uh, you know we put out a sector update report this morning in which we rolled out our 2021 uh, price targets and updated our numbers uh, you know simply put you know we do think there's a lot more room to run here um, and you know it's not only because of uh, the fact that you have a very strong uh, fundamental backdrop you know low rates uh, tight supply, affordability is good, and, and we can list another five factors. But we also see a lot of historical precedent. Uh, when you look back and you understand that we're just right now after 13 years of single family starts being under 1 million, which is unprecedented. And in the past prior 40 years, it only happened seven years in a row. Uh, and we're just getting back to that long-term average you know, we think there's plenty of room for the market to continue to recover. And we look at the home building stocks, I'm sorry, the builder fundamentals themselves. Um, you had several consecutive years last cycle where the builders were putting up solid double digit order growth, very strong margin expansion and several years of outperformance. Yeah, and so you've got Pulte uh, with an over, uh, overweight as well as NVR, but you do have some downgrades. Can you tell me about those and why? Uh, so then looking at the group, the group generally does trade together. And with our updated price target, 
targets, we have a 27% average upside as of the close of yesterday. Uh, the ratings, we take a more of a relative approach within the group and focus on relative valuation against their relative fundamental profiles. In that context, we downgraded Meritage, still having solid upside, but more in line with the group, so therefore a neutral rating. Um, still 20% upside, but it trades at a good valuation premium to its smaller cap peers. Um, that premium is reasonable, uh, but it does result in a more of an inline uh, upside potential. We're also, we also have an underweight so on Toll Brothers, um, having a, a nice premium valuation to its larger cap peers, despite our outlook for below average margins and, and returns. So finally, Michael, let's circle back to Pulte uh, for one example. As you've explained, you think this could be kind of a, a, a trend that runs at least another 15 months. But what about the valuation? I mean, this is one of the most loved sectors of the market. Are, is, is it high by historical levels? Right. So, you know, for Pulte specifically, we find it particularly attractive. We added it to our uh, analyst focus list this morning. And as of yesterday, an upside potential of 49 percent. Currently, as of yesterday, it was trading at only seven and a half times our forward numbers against its larger cap peers at over nine times, yet also having the best margins and returns uh, in the larger cap space, returns outside of NVR, that is. Um, in terms of the valuation for the group overall, uh, actually, it's trading right in line with uh, the past cycle at this point in time in the cycle on a relative basis. So currently it's trading roughly at a half half of the market multiple. Um, and in the last three years, it's been in a range of 0.4 to 0.6. That's right in line with the range that it traded in the first half of the 2000 uh, decade. Yeah. So it's amazing. You know, as well as they've done, this is still not kind of screaming to you that it's overvalued. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Michael Rehart of JP Morgan. Pulte's saw is up nearly 4% on a nice day for the builders in general. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.